Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Welcome to another episode of Legends of the Spire. So pleased you can be with us. Uh, back to the players this week after a few weeks off. And today it's another goalkeeper. So we've got Cameron Mason with us today. Now he's only 26, uh, was at Chesterfield firstly in 2012 in that period of changeover between John Sheridan and Paul Cook. He was goalkeeping competition for Tommy Lee and Rich O'Donnell, so probably one of the strongest goalkeeping lineups we've had in years in that spell, uh, and did have a few appearances uh, on the bench, first off against uh, Hartlepool in that big FA Cup win. He's then gone on to have a really good career uh, in non-league, uh, playing loads and loads of games for Curzon Ashton and he's now at Southport and he did last year have a spell on trial at Chesterfield and very very nearly signed. It's a very interesting story as to what went off there. As always it was great to get a perspective uh, of someone's career in the game, uh, the highs and lows of being a professional footballer so thanks to Cameron for taking the time out to have a chat about football. As always, we are at Spire Legends on Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spire on Facebook, so do get in touch. And if you do watch these and you're a former player with us, uh, whoever you are, then uh, please do get in touch. I am legendsofthespire at outlook.com. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you. I've spoken to a few players uh, over the last few days that have said they've watched a few of them. So if you are watching, uh, please do get in touch. But here we are with the latest episode with Cameron Mason. from Oldham, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And that's so how you kind of started Oldham, off yeah. as a youth player, wasn't it? Yeah, so I joined Oldham. I got into football quite late, say, mid-ish teen, so 13, 14. I ended up, it's a long story, but I got into football through a detention at high school. Got in a detention. They need a goalie. PE teacher said he can do the detention playing in goal. And basically got picked up by the shadow squad at Blackburn. Went from Blackburn to City, City to Oldham. And then I stayed at Oldham all the way through until I was 16. Um, I'd never played in goal. I'd never really played football. I love football. All my family loves it. I've watched it, but never really played it. I think I've turned out a few times. My cousin's Sunday, you know, like junior Sunday team, you know, to help them out. But never, you know, was a massive keen thing. And then... I remember being at Oldham and getting this goalie coaching and things like that and thinking, I'm all right at this. Don't get me wrong, I, I would never say I was the best because I wasn't. But I, was, I knew I was all right at where I could even just go and play with my mates if I wanted to and it would be a hobby for, for whatever or go to college and play you know, like in a sixth form or whatever and play for the college team. And that's how I saw it back then. 16, obviously, I ended up getting like goal by Oldham. Um they took on a goalkeeper called Joel Coleman, who's now at Rochdale. Um, he's, he did really well for himself. He got number, he became the number one at Oldham, went to Huddersfield. I think he went to Fleetwood and now he's at Rochdale. He's, you know, he's not played many games of late. I think he had a bad injury over the last few years, but previously made the right decision, maybe you could say. And that's obviously what led me on to coming to Chesterfield. How did that all come about then? Was it a... Was it a trial or were you contacted? How did it work? So when you're 16, you if you get released, you can go to something called exit trials. So what happens is there is all lads who are released, basically just come together. They create a random team. So you could like, uh, so there's two keepers in each squad. The other lad was from Scunthorpe, I think. And basically you just play in front of all these scouts. They have all your information because you're numbered by team and then clubs contact you. I think my mum got four or five phone calls Chesterfield was the first one to say, look, we need a keeper. We haven't got one in your age group. Do you want to come in and play some games at under 16? I went and played a game. I can't remember. Who, I think it was against Rotherham, actually, um, for the under 16s. I, I remember it quite well. Actually. I, I saved the penalty. I can't remember. Who, I'm pretty sure it was Rotherham, but I saved the penalty. And I remember Dave Bentley, who was a youth team manager at the time, calling me and my dad in. My dad didn't often come to watch me at that age, to be honest. So it was one of the, probably one of the only few times. And he pulled us in the office and said, look, we're that desperate to get this sorted. We're going to give you 48 hours to decide whether you want a scholarship here or not. And I hadn't been to any other of the clubs. I hadn't really had a further conversation with any of the other ones. It was the closest to home out of all the other ones. Mm. And Dave Bentley 
and Mark Jules, who were the youth team manager at the time, seemed like really top blokes. And it was a no-brainer to say yes because it meant I was secured two years of footy. So, yeah, that, that's how it really came about. It's it's funny as well because when we had uh, Tommy Lee on the podcast, he was talking yeah. about when he was on trial, and I think it was a preseason game against Wednesday, I think, and I think it was one of the Sodgies missed like an open goal, <laughs> and he was saying that him missing that open goal was probably the difference between him getting a contract and not getting one. Yeah, <laughs> That's what the remember. Yeah. Saving a penalty is kind of not a bad thing to do, is it, when you're trying to Probably not when you're trying to secure yourself a scholarship, but it's just probably like Tommy says, just a bit of luck. Because I knew it's not like now where I look at who we're playing and I look, you know, about where the last penalties have gone. I was just a 15, 16-year-old lad who, who just picked away and went, <laughs> luckily for me, a lad decided that he wanted to go that way too. But yeah, like I say, Dave Bentley said, well, 48 hours, you know, we'll let you go home and have a decision. But to be honest, we'd made our mind up before we'd even got home that that was probably the best thing for me to do. Yeah. So what did you do about the travel then to and from? So I got put in digs. Uh, I got put in digs with another first-year scholar, Joe Mather, who's a striker from Bradford. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that house... The second-year goalkeeper, Josh Barrington, was in there. And the winger from the second years, Carl McNall, was in there. So there was four of us in the house. Um, I think the lady who was looking after us, all her children had gone off to university, so she had these spare bedrooms and looked at it that way. We, I only stayed there for that one year in digs because, basically, I think I think she actually went travelling in the end and she just said, look... I, um, the two obviously second years were either becoming pros or leaving mm-hmm. and the two first years they asked if they could put us up somewhere else so ended up putting us up in in another obviously in another house where Armand you remember Armand and yeah. Julie eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so there was me Armand and uh, Joe in this house um, I think one of the first years came for a while as well and then ended up I think, you know, just travelling in instead because he was from Nottingham. Um, and then I stayed there for about six months. Joe wasn't really training that much because he got injured. Um, I think it was Mason Coy who was the first year. He decided to go back to Nottingham. So I was there on my own then with Armand. And I don't think the club really knew what was happening with Armand, whether he was going to stay, whether he wasn't. His English wasn't great at the time. It's, it's unbelievable now, to be fair, how much he's come on, but... I ended up moving in with Eric Nixon, the goalie coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I ended up moving in with him and did the last few months of my, my scholarship living with Eric, who obviously was a goalie coach at the time. Just tell me about living with Armand. I, I imagine it's... Uh, uh, Difficult. Did you just play, play a lot of FIFA or something like that? <laughs> to be honest, he didn't really come out of his room. He, he did to eat and stuff. I don't mean that, but it, I think it must have been hard for him because looking back, he wasn't exactly old. He was still young himself and he couldn't speak English. Well, he could, but nothing to have a conversation with anybody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when we when we travelled away with the first team, if I was ever there, I always got room with Armand as well because we lived together. People must have just thought we had this secret like language to talk to each other and <laughs> we really didn't and you know do you know what he was you can tell when someone's a good person even not speaking the same language and he was great to have around and you know there's ways of communicating without speaking the same language and you know we had some good laughs while we were there together yeah I from like the outside looking in he always seemed like a bit of a gentle soul in that he was, yeah, you no, know, he was, he was, yeah. he was obviously a big guy, obviously as well, isn't he? But he looks like quite a, quite a gentle soul. <laughs> yeah, he 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 caused no harm to anybody at all. For a big, strong, powerful, you know, person, he won't cause harm to anybody. So, you know, he, he was great to have around. So when you came in, it was John Sheridan, wasn't it? That was manager. It was like yeah. Second, uh, it was the the season we were in League One, wasn't it? So it's season after we'd been promoted. Yeah, John John Sheridan was the manager. Weirdly enough, he was at them. He was the older manager, mm. and the year I was under sixteen there as well. So he took quite a few players from Oldham with him, at like Danny Whitaker, Neil Trotman, like uh, Abbott. I think was another one. There was there was a few anyway, and so I knew quite a lot of the first team 
not knew knew them personally, but you know, I'd watched them, you know, being at Oldham, and obviously uh, John Sheridan had been there. And when you used to go in on day of release in the youth team as a sixteen-year-old, you always saw the first team. So he he was with the youth team lads. He was quite quiet. He'd acknowledge you. He wouldn't be rude to you, not not in the slightest. But there was always that little bit of a, a serious face to him, like where you knew that you couldn't get on the bad side of him. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but didn't really have much conversation, if any, to be honest, just the morning, daffer in the morning, stuff like that. And, and, that, and that's about it, really. Yeah. But, uh, it's funny, I've, I've, like, I've had a few people from around that time, so like Jack Broadhead and uh, Chris Tingey and uh, yeah. like the talk, saying that maybe John Sheridan was a bit more standoffish, maybe with the... Youth yeah. And, uh... yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment, definitely. I think I, I don't think that it wasn't that he didn't care, because I, I think he definitely did care. I think it was just more he'd rather like step aside and let you be you so he could see you for the real you, if that yeah, makes sense. Because yeah. if it and that way and you know, I think like Jack Broder, for example, was the year above me, he was my captain when I was the first year and he ended up getting a pro contract through John Sheridan and so he obviously paid attention to detail because at that time Broder deserved it so it wasn't like he didn't care it was clearly more like Jack and the others have said he just took that step back you know rather than the in your face and all that you know malarkey yeah yeah just different style I suppose isn't it so yeah so you definitely. were then goalkeepers with you had Tommy Lee and Rich O'Donnell, didn't you, at that time? Not that, that's probably like the strongest goalkeeping lineup we've had in in a good decade or two, probably. Two great teams. Yeah, and two of the nicest blokes. So you could you could being a young lad, especially a first year, because what happened in my first year was Josh Barrington, the second year, as a first year, you wouldn't normally play. Mm. You'd just learn. And then when your second year comes, you you'd play. That's your time then to to shine as such but Josh had popped his shoulder out on the last day of training when I was an under 16 so that meant the youth team had no keeper so when I came in I played straight away now I wasn't used to playing 90 minutes because when you're in a 16s department as such like at Oldham you were playing half a games or you might have played one week and the other do you know what I mean it was never consistent and to have Tommy Lee and Richard O'Donnell around who you train who I got to train with every day with Mark Crossley being a goalie coach that first year was just something that probably still now look back on and think I owe them a lot because they took the time out to help me on off the pitch if I ever needed help with anything Tommy Lee was an absolute animal in the gym if I ever wanted to anything in the gym Tommy Lee had helped me Richard O'Donnell was great and advised technique um, my kicking, my distribution was horrendous. Like as a sixteen-year-old, I'll tell that to anybody. Now it's probably one of my strongest assets, and I probably put it down to them too. To be honest, just taking the time out, doing extra with me, and and just really caring, just caring for for a young lad who, to be honest with you, they didn't even have to try with me. If they didn't want to, they, they don't have to. They're, yeah. they're at work. I'm trying to make a living there. They're, they're in it they're, they're in the moment like Tommy Lee for example he's number one we should all be catering for Tommy Lee because you know he's but it, it wasn't like that it was like even when Aaron Chapman came in the second year you know when Richard O'Donnell left yeah he it still was the same then Aaron came from Belper I think mm. so he'd come from non-league quite low down in non-league really to to up to the football league and Again, Tommy taking the time out to help Aaron, and it's just the way it worked. It was just, honestly, Aaron included three of the nicest, nicest blokes I could. If I, if I messaged any of them now, they'd reply to me. Not which again, they don't have to do because you know I was only with them for Rich a year, Aaron a year, and obviously Tommy I was with for two. But Tommy's probably seeing a lot of youth team keepers, but he takes the time to speak to people, and if you ever need anything he's always willing to help. Yeah, and I guess it's no surprise to you now then that he's gone on to have a good coaching career himself. It's Chef United at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I was, to be honest, I was devastated when I found out that his shoulder never got good enough to, you know, for him to carry on playing because I think 
any Chesterfield fan would tell you Tommy Lee was probably one of the best keepers in the league, if not the best every year. No, no matter what, he was he, he was far too good for that division, let alone yeah, he was. He was far too good for that division. And yeah. Chesterfield were lucky to have him and just shows how loyal he is and, and his work rate, honestly, in the gym early in the morning with a weight vest on, he's you know, like training, his shoulder was hurting him, he played through it. It doesn't surprise me that he's gone into coaching as a person he is to to help younger keepers because what he has as you know the basics is in the work rate and stuff is what every young kid should be trying to have. What was the balance like then? From because obviously I was looking at the we have this brilliant Chesterfield history website where they compile all the stats. So shout out to them. But they've got all the youth team fixtures on there uh, and everything. So you're obviously playing quite a lot. You're having to yeah. do bits of dual roles, aren't you? You're kind of doing bits of training with the with the first team and then doing bits of yeah. youth team matches. At first, we all trained up at the training ground. There's two pitches, youth team, first team. Then it changed. Don't know why or whatever it did, it changed. It could have been when we changed managers, hmm. to be honest. Um, so then the first team trained up at Cylinders, where I'm surprised they still trained now. The youth team trained in Dronfield, so it's quite a distance. Yeah. So, to be honest, eventually it ended up being train with the first team in the morning, do your goalie session, then in the afternoon the youth team do a double session, go with the youth team, and, and that's just how it worked. And to be fair, we worked around it quite well. If there was a double session on where the, the first team needed me, I'd be there for the first team because their priority at the end of the day, and that that'd be the case for all the youth lads. If all the youth lads were needed for the first team on a double session the youth lads would be with the first team, helping the first team for that double session. So, but the best ones sometimes are game days because you could be playing in Lincoln and then you'd have to be back to ball boy for the first team if there was at home or some of you would be sat on the bench because, you know, you could play. And then I did that, I think. I think I played in the morning and then ended up sitting on the bench for the first team because they needed me to. Um, I think when, obviously when we spoke, you touched on, the Hartlepool game, the very first time I was on the bench for the first team, I didn't find out until I got back from the youth team game ready to ball boy. And I got told that I was on the bench. And then somebody asked me what squad number I wanted. And I just said, oh, I'll have anything. Because to be honest, it's the last thing you're thinking about when someone tells you, oh, by the way, you're on the bench for the first team. Because <laughs> I think I was a first year and I think I was the first youth team player that season to get on the bench. So it was all new for us first years. Don't think any of the second years have been on the bench that year. So at that time, so it was I was the first one. So it was a very strange experience for me because I hadn't seen it happen to anybody else. So obviously very grateful for it. But a squad number was the last thing I was thinking of. I was just happy to take whatever was given to me. I actually got quite a low one. I got twenty fourth, which I was quite happy with Not to bad. be honest. Because <laughs> they could have they could have given me could have given me 50 couldn't they really so yeah. I, I took I took 24 hours quite happy with that yeah. <laughs> so if we just track back like a month or so so obviously John Sheridan ended up running bad results John Sheridan ended up going Paul yeah. came in um, I mean it must have been weird like first season kind of experience in that kind of change yeah and a completely different person like loud again not in a bad way loud you could you knew he was around I think now that I play for Southport and I have a lot of scousers I, I know what scousers don't allow you to be quiet and don't allow you to not talk to anybody you, you have to you have to, you have to be involved but that's the beauty of it like I've seen it this year with our team I went in there quite quiet and you know, just, you know, trying to get my surroundings but I didn't get time to get my surroundings because they all made sure that I felt at home I think that's what he did quite well. And I reckon that's why he probably did so well because people wanted to win for him. People wanted to play for him. He got involved in training. Remember his first session, he just stood in midfield and just flicked balls around corners. And it was like, oh, this is different. This is, you know. And he had Liam as his assistant, who was a very good coach, who's now at Wigan. Yeah. And he, he had Kev. Kev as his actual coach, you know, like, and think he'd come from Marine and yeah, yeah. He, he, he brought that like scouse attitude to training as well and it just yeah it just it was just a completely different feel about the place and and 
I think at that time it was probably one of the, the things the place needed, like a little bit of a G up. Obviously, when you're on a bad results, players are just as affected as managers. It's just the the game is the managers lose the job, and the place needed a G up. And obviously, Paul Cook came in and he gave the place exactly what it needed. Well, yeah, I've, I've probably told this story before on the podcast, but back in 2013, I was running the London Marathon and uh, I was doing it for Ashgate Hospice and I got in touch and with the club and was like, oh, can I have like, pitch take on the pitch because they wanted to put it in the Derbyshire Times and stuff like that to try and raise a few more money. Um, and, uh, and Paul Cook came out to kind of have the pitch taken on the pitch with someone from Ashgate Hospice and me and stuff like that. And then afterwards he was like, right, come on then, we'll go to the go to the dressing room and have a cup of tea and kind of dragged me into this room for a cup of tea. And then he was like, right, we're going to go through my phone. I've been offered loads of players. And I remember him going through his phone saying, oh, I've been offered Shelton Martis. Do you know Shelton Martis? And I was like, oh, he used to be at Doncaster or something. He was like, yeah, we're well, not of him. Uh, what about this guy? And he was kind of, it was just like getting, it, it did feel like he was the kind of guy that would include anyone and kind of make anyone yeah. feel at home and brought everyone along yeah. for the ride. I think... He was one of them people that you could have a laugh and a joke with. I, I think as as youth team lads, you probably don't try it, but you know he can have a laugh and a joke and you see it with the first team lads. But then you know if you do something wrong, <laughs> you're going to get the brunt of it. And I think that was the perfect balance. It was the perfect balance. So then when he did go absolutely berserk at someone for something or the team, you knew that it wasn't personal. Hmm. It, it was just the winner in him. And and that was that. And then you all move on and you all go again. And I think that's why it, it probably worked as well as it did. And, uh, to be honest, when you're an apprentice, you obviously get jobs, don't you? You know, like you clean boots, you clean players' boots. I don't know if they do it anymore. I'm not sure. You, you pump the balls up. Mine was T-Boy. And as you can imagine, at these staff meetings, uh, there's a lot of tea and coffee to be made. But that was my job. And I remember... I don't know if he does and he certainly won't remember but there used to be a list of all these teas and coffees and he must have thought I remembered them off the top of my head but I didn't I actually put a piece of paper underneath the kettle in the uh, media room to remind me of what everybody had so I never forgot uh, and he, he, yeah he just he just had a good laugh and like I say just got everybody involved and and I think youth team lads and first team lads and, and, and that I think like, for example, he put me on the bench and he made me feel welcome. He didn't, you know, I remember going, you know, travelling away with the first team. I think we we went down to Exeter one game and he just, on the coach on the way home, there was nobody on it. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And he can't remember him coming to the back of the bus and laughing. And I just said, what's going on? He said, they've all gone out for the team night out, but you're 17 and you ain't going anywhere. And he remember me sat on the coach all the way home. And But he, he sat with me and he took his time. Out. Like he could go to the front of the bus and go to sleep. We played on a good Friday. It was a night game. It wasn't, you know, and, but he didn't, he spoke to me and he, you know, he, he was telling me things about my game and things like that. And things like that stick with you because at the time we were doing really well. So if someone who's managing a team that's doing really well, he's giving you advice, you should probably, yeah, listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Crikey. And, and like you mentioned, the Hartlepool game. So I think that was the, I think that was maybe only his second or third game in charge, I think. It was really, oh, yeah. really early. Yeah, we had, he hadn't, yeah, he hadn't been, he hadn't been there long because I remember it was literally like, uh, right at the start and he was like, right, you're on the bench. I was like, you've not even seen me play. Like that's, uh, that's how I remember it was so early on because he was, he was new to it all and he'd hardly seen me train or play, to be honest. What was it like being involved in the whole atmosphere of a match day squad? I mean, was it anything different to... Obviously, you got repetition from doing it in lots of other different circumstances, so it's not like the first time you've been yeah, in the yeah. team, but I imagine it had a slight sense of like bigness about it. Yeah, because I found out so late, Obviously, I couldn't have family there because, to be honest with you, I, th- I think we played somewhere like Lincoln or something like that and we travelled back and then I found out, obviously, my mum and dad being from here, it was too far to even get there, you know, for the game. Because I think I found out like 10 to 2. So they wouldn't have made the game. And I, I was just nervous. Not not for us to win. Well, I, you know, nothing like that. I just petrified if I had to come on, to be honest. Uh, now, looking back, like, I've sat on the bench, you know, when I left Chesterfield and stuff like that. 
you know you're probably not going to get on as a keeper. But for whatever reason, that being my first time, I was like, please don't get injured. You know, <laughs> just just one of them because because you know new manager never you know never been in the first team squad never. You, also, what you've got to you don't know what these first team lads even think of you, like as a keeper, let alone because. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to turn around to you and go, "Oh, you're terrible" or whatever. They're not, because um, they just see you as sometimes a youth team lad. And I think I was more concentrated on <laughs> hoping I didn't have to come on than I was anything else. <laughs> so, did the defenders even know if you were right footed or left footed? <laughs> so... Probably, probably, probably not. No, <laughs> probably not. And I'm kind of glad I didn't come on because knowing my luck, they probably passed my left foot all night. Oh, good. <laughs> that wouldn't end up very well either. In trouble. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It was a good old-fashioned goal fest as League Two Chesterfield hosted managerless Hartlepool at the Proac Stadium. First in on the act was Scott Bowden, who blasted in for 1-0 on 16 minutes. And on the half hour, they made it two as Mark Randall finished neatly from inside the area. Two became three just before half-time as some suicidal defending from the monkey hangers allowed Craig Clay far too much space. 3-0 and the Spyrites enjoying themselves. On 54 minutes it was four. Danny Whittaker's free kick turned in by Tyrell Forbes. But Hartlepool finally got themselves on the score sheet with 12 minutes left via this Anthony Sweeney header. It was scant consolation though as just 60 seconds later Jack Lester found himself clean through and made no mistake with the finish. And the humiliation was complete for the side bottom of League One in injury time as Craig Westcar capitalised on yet more poor defending to finish from close range. 6-1 it ended, Chesterfield into round two. All those other strikers in the squad, there was a lot of firepower in that squad. So obviously Jack Lester and Mark Richards and everyone yeah. else. Did you get to come up against them a bit in training? Well, in, in, in training, yeah. And like you can imagine going from your mates on the 16 shooting against you to Mark Richards and Jack Lester and, and co fire. We had Jacob Hazel, who was a, you know, a proven goal scorer at the youth level who just got a pro and stuff like that. You, you know, that he, he was hard enough to face, let alone your Mark Richards, who could hit a ball harder than I think anyone's ever hit a ball at me, to be honest, and, and things like that. But they were all great as well. Like, you know, they had a laugh and a joke and they used to wind you up when they were just slotting and pass you like you weren't even there. But it just strived you on to do better. And they might not even have been doing it for that reason, but I took it that way as, all right, okay, we'll have a laugh and a joke, but I'm going to make sure next time we come train that you're not going to score as many past me. And, you know, like I say, Jack Lester, there's a reason why his shirt's retired, isn't there? Let's, let's just say that. So if you're going to face somebody, he's probably one of the ones you want to face to get better, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I suppose there's loads of little things you pick up about 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 strikers and how to kind of play as, as much as that, just reflexes and, and things like that, but as... Like the the mentality of trying to outfox a striker and put them off and all that stuff. There's little tricks, I suppose, you can learn, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and you, probably as the season went on, I, I probably did get better. Naturally, you're going to get better. You're training with, you know, football league centre forwards who do this. Oh, I've done it day in day out for God knows how many years. I think that was Jack's last season, mm. to be honest. So you know, he'd done it for God knows how many years. So. If you can't pick up on a few things off him, then you probably sure would to pick off, off anybody, to be honest. Yeah. So that first season, you were in the, I think you were on the bench three times, I think. So I think it was Hartlepool, yeah. Bristol Rovers, I think. I think it was the three. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. And then second season, uh, like you said, you mentioned the Exeter appearance. I think there was another couple as well, but that was obviously promotion winning season. So it was a great season yeah. to be around the club, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but. To be honest with you, I didn't see the end of it because we got told before the end of the season that if we were or weren't getting anything. So once we got told we weren't, that was it. We were we were done and, and that that was the end of us. So didn't actually get to experience the you know the promotion as such. And that was a bit of a shame because to be honest with you, like you say, you've been in, I'd been involved a few times on the bench, but for example, me 
and the fullback at the time, Jamie McNicholas, had travelled with the first team squad as just like kind of like helpers you know, on match days. Like I remember us going to Mansfield, I remember us going to other places where <clears throat> we'd warm up, but warm up to help the first team. So I'd be an extra body in the keeper session, Jamie would be an extra body in possession or on the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some would say that we were very, very unlucky. Not me personally. I mean, collectively, I think going back to the actual youth team, I think my year and the year below and the year above, to be honest, with Jack Broadhead and Co. I think the year above, give out, don't know how many of them got pros, I can't remember, but there's probably more deserved it than what got it. Do you get what I mean? And, yeah. and our year, not our year, none of us got one. Not one of us. Um, so we didn't actually get a experience the promotion, which was, you know, it's gutting because you feel like you've been a part of it. But then mm. in some regards, it also taught me how ruthless football is because one minute you're there and the next minute you're not. It literally is. A, you know, in, within the space of sitting down, within a minute, I knew that I was no longer at Chasfield Football Club. Obviously, it carried on and I got explained into more detail, but it, it, it was something like, wow. Like, because... I sit back and think I probably I don't I don't know did I deserve one did I not and you know I remember at the time people saying I did and people saying they couldn't understand why I didn't get one but I think in some regard I'm not disappointed I didn't because do you know what it probably made me a better person it, it taught me a lot about football and I've used that experience you know now in my time mm. and I look back at some of the other lads. Obviously, a lot of them don't play no more. A lot of them packed in after that. A lot of them probably never kicked a football again. Some went off to America. And that's experiences that will remain with them for the rest of their lives. And that all happened because of a no. Yeah, it just yeah. shows that. So, gutted that I didn't see the end of the promotion because I'd been around it, like you say. But at, at the end of the day, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, it, it was my time to go there and then. So you know the conversation is going to come. It's, it's obvious, it has to, but you don't get told when it's coming. It's yeah. just a case of one day you will come in and we will say, all right, come on, second years. We're going across the road and we're sitting and we're having a chat. And I remember, uh, do you know the, the play centre across the way? It's just been built. I don't know what's there now, to be honest. Um, it's just been built. We're all sat in there and there were some offices upstairs. Hmm. Now, we changed youth team manager halfway through the season. Paul Cook, Paul, when Paul Cook came at the end of that, you know, so obviously that first, my first year scholar, I had John Sheridan, then I had Paul Cook. At the end of that season, Paul Cook brought in his own youth team managers, which was Mark Smith and Jerry. Now, at the time, we ended up going to Holland on a pre-season tour and us second years didn't feel like we were Mark and Jerry's players because we wasn't, whereas the first years were because they picked them as their scholars. So Lawrence Maguire, Jake Beasley, who were always going to get one anyway, no matter who, you know, no matter, no matter because of how good they were. But they got selected by Mark and Jerry, whereas second years didn't. We were Dave Bentley and Jules' players. So I think it was hard for us because every time that you weren't in a team or you weren't thingy, you felt hard done by. But actually, it wasn't that at all. But because you're young, you, that's how you see it. So when we went over for the meeting, I remember one of the lads uh, put it, well, first and foremost, some of the lads didn't even show up because they knew they were going to get told no. So they didn't even bother, which is a bit bad, really. But they knew that they were no longer going to be at the club. Mm. I remember one of the lads saying, Jamie, you going first. Cam going you, you going second. If you two come out with no's, we're in trouble, basically. But, you know, remember Jamie Hewitt? His son was in my youth team, Alex. So I said, well, I'd send Alex in first because Alex was a really good player. Everything you probably wanted in a midfielder. And his dad was the physio. So if he came out of a no, you were probably looking like... And I remember Jamie going in, coming out of a no. Me going in, no. Alex going in, no. I just remember thinking to myself, we're all going to get told no. But you, I couldn't believe it. I wasn't actually, I don't think it hit any of us. 
that we'd just been released. I don't, I don't think it did. I don't think anybody in that room actually processed what had happened because it happened so quick. I bet we were over there for an hour and we'd all been told no. Like that's how quick it was. And I don't think it's probably till a month later where you're probably at home, back with your mum and dad and you're thinking, oh, what do I do now? Because you're looking for universities, you're looking for scholarships, you're looking at what your next move is. I, I felt fine, but then I'd probably say about three weeks after being home, I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't want to go out. I certainly didn't want to play football um, because I thought, well, now what do I do? Because I, I didn't really want to go to uni. I, back, looking back now and thinking about it, I maybe should have gone to America, but I ended up going to Oz and I went out to Oz for a few months, played out there and came back and still didn't fall in love with it and I think it's nice to see now you know how they're doing like helping people when they get released from football clubs because looking looking back now I was probably depressed without knowing I was depressed because I didn't know what it was really back then I didn't know and it wasn't really much there was an exit trial system you know just like what there was at 16 I agreed to go on that I ended up doing that at Walsall and funny enough, Jamie McNicholas, the fullback, was in my team at that. And my team won 5 0. I don't think me and Jamie ever touched the ball. And I just thought, how can anybody sign you when you've not done anything? And I remember thinking, that's it. That's my football career as such. Done. Yeah, so after Chesterfield, you ended up at Curzon Ashton and you were there for a good, oh, like seven years? Seven, seven years. Yeah, this is my first season away from there. So. Like I said, I went to Oz, I came back. And it's a weird one with Curzon. When I came back from Oz, I, I still didn't. I still I still had no interest in playing footy because it wasn't full-time. Hmm. Up, I think I got an agency job, you know, working in a warehouse, earning money. So it wasn't like I needed the money. Yeah. And then there was a trial day for the reserves at Curzon. And we knew that Curzon had just had a pretty new stadium with a nice astro. And a friend of mine who was at Everton up until he was 16, Kind of went through the same thing as me, but younger. Once he hit 16 and Everton told him no, he stopped playing. He went and played for Oldham College because he just fell out of love with footy. Got playing with his mates. He said, shall we go? I said, oh, I don't want to put the gloves back on yet. I, I don't. And uh, he said, well, don't. He said, just go and just play outfield. I said, just have a laugh. See if you enjoy it. If you enjoy it, nothing will work there. But then you might get that desire again to go on and, you know, put the gloves back on. Ended up going down to these trials and somehow Curzon signed me as a striker for the reserves. And I've stayed for about four months. And then a lad who I knew through, do you know, like playing against each other at school, was in the reserves. Now, for some reason, he hadn't been at training. I surmised he was injured. And he came to training this one night. And little did I know the first team coach, who's now actually the first team manager at Curzon, is uh, taking training. Now, I didn't know who he was at the time. Adam Lakeland, I just thought it was just one of these coaches, you know, just covering the session because Mark wasn't there. And he'd made me bring my gloves, this lad. He said, bring your gloves. He said, come on. He said, give it a rest as such. Do you know what I mean? Get your gloves back on. Like the first team need a subkeeper. Like they're struggling, Hacken's commitments. I, I can't remember what was going on at the time, but there was something they needed back up just in case. So I said, okay. Anyway, so be it. I brought my gloves this one night. This first team coach is taking training, and this first team, and within 12 hours, no over exaggeration, I think training finished at 10. By 10 the next morning, Mark Bradshaw, the reserve team manager, messaged me saying, Did you play in goal last night at training? And I said, Yeah. He went, Well, guess what? You're training with the first team tonight. And it just went from there. <laughs> and that's just went from there. And I covered the bench for, they got promoted that season from the Evo stick to the Conference North. I then was on the bench to conference. I played a few games in the Evo stick. Then we went Conference North. I think I played 11 games, something like that, in the Conference North, you know, when Hakan was injured or we, I think, you know, near the end of the season when you can't go up, you can't go down, give the fringe lads a go. And I remember I'd fallen back in love with footy because I was playing for the reserves. Mark had made me captain and I was getting a little bit of taste of this men's football and I'd completely fallen in love with footy again at this family club where everybody's looked after. And I thought, right, I'm going to get up the courage here to go into the manager and say, I want to leave because I want to go and play. 
can you help me? I want to play. So I went in, got all this courage. It took me about a week to get in this courage. So I went in and he said, uh, yeah, no problem. I totally respect that. Um, okay, shook hands, said it was a pleasure. And then I remember getting a phone call about five hours later and he said, uh, Cameron, just, just, you know, just hold your horses a minute. Because I'd messaged a few clubs and a few managers, you know, that I'd, I'd got to know, you know, through them two years. And and he said, how come the number one's leaving? Um, he needs to play somewhere closer to home. So why don't you come in? We'll see how the first 10, 15 games go of the season. If I think that you're doing all right, I'll keep you as my number one. And I must have done all right because I ended up being number one for seven years. Well, five years after that. So I must have done all right. Plays advantage. Horton now outside of Hunt as well. Still going on to his right foot. He's got the space. Rolls it into Dudley. Dudley against Mason. Mason with the save. Horton with the follow-up. And how's Mason got a hand to that one to palm away Nick Horton's follow-up effort? That's fantastic goalkeeping. But it all came from Nick Horton. It was great determination to get forward and keep going. And that and it's really great that like over that seven years you go from that kind of story of turning up as a striker <laughs> under yeah. like a reserve trial to then getting an England C call up, which unfortunately then kind of didn't happen. Yeah. But we still got the call up. That was kind of yeah. what was that early twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was about two years ago. I think, in, in fact, I think it was two years ago, a few weeks ago, because I remember getting the memory, you know, like as you get on social media yeah, from yeah. the post that Curzon put out. And I remember Mark Bradshaw, the manager at the time, ringing me while I was in work and said, Are you sat down? I said, No. I said, I'm working. And he said, uh, You might want to. I'm thinking to myself, We got along really well, me and Mark. Mark, Mark had come from coaching the under sixes. He still actually does coach under sixes. He's no longer the first team manager, but. He coached the sixes, like the tens, the women, and then the reserves, the youth team. He, you know, one of them people who just does everything. And he'd come through all these stages with me and he ended up becoming the interim first team manager. And we got along really well outside. We weren't playing golf a lot. So I thought, he's having me on here. He's going to make me sit down. He's going to tell me something stupid like his handicap's gone down at golf or something like that. And he went, uh, you've been called up for England, see? And I remember laughing at him on the phone. And I remember putting the phone down. And then he rang me back and said, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's how I found out. And I think I think it was a big thing for Curzon because Curzon never had anybody, you know, get called up before. So that was something new to Curzon. Mm. I think Curzon took pride in it because they did have a massive part of my development. I think Mark, if he didn't, he should have took pride in it because Mark was a massive part of my development who I remember speaking to him a week or two ago and I, I reminded him I owe you so much like we talk about Tommy Lee and stuff like that but yeah. he stuck by me and you know give me responsibility in a football club like a captain and stuff like that and and remember when naturally you make mistakes he was always there arm around shoulder and he taught me that everybody makes mistakes and not to beat myself up and he says that's one of my biggest strengths now if I mess up I forget about it which some people might think well, that's not a good thing. Obviously, you learn from it, but I don't let it bear on me. And going, getting that call up was, I was, I was quite proud of myself. I was totally shocked. I would never lie to anybody. It was one of the most shocked probably I've ever been in my life because when I think of England C, I think of conference. Conference. I know it, I, obviously the squad's just come out now, and it's not got an age cap on it, has it? Because I know Scott yeah, Oates has yeah. been called up, but when I when I sit there and we we spoke about it earlier on that the amount of full-time teams and the amount of lads who are full-time, I think I was the only part-time player on that list. Like I looked at that and thought, wow, like maybe I can kick on. And to be honest with you, that, that was all the motivation I needed. And then like you say, unfortunately COVID came along and the seasons just kind of started, stopped, started, stopped and it just fizzled out and I've still got the motivation, don't get me wrong, but I feel like that was my time to really take that next step. And unfortunately, like you say, COVID uh, decided that it wasn't meant to be. And and you nearly ended up back at Chesterfield. So this was last, oh. last yeah. year? But is it yeah, true so, then? With the, I mean, the, the rumour, I don't know if it's rumour or if it's confirmed oh. or whatever, but it was that we were going to kind of take over your contract, but then 
there was some kind of loan fee that wants to be paid or something. Uh, I don't know. The, so the, at, the, at the start of the season, we got a new manager at Curzon. Um, he was a character for sure. Uh, he's actually the manager of Buxton now, which is yeah. kind of near, near your way. He had his set ways. He got people in who he wanted, do you know, like his personalities and them personalities didn't really suit me. Do you know, like who I am as such? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I played. Uh, I actually had a year left on my contract for this year. The season gets null and void. And Dave, Dave O'Hara, the current goalie coach now, mm-hmm. uh, got in touch and said, look, like, are you on a deal or not? Just as mates, we still talk. It wasn't yeah. anything that he shouldn't have done, nothing like that. I said, look, I said, get the club to speak to Curzon. I'm on a deal. My deal runs out at the end of what this current season should have been. Got on the phone, all got agreed through some arguing, through manager and me, because the manager wanted to get rid of me from minute one. He wanted to bring his own keeper in. It was the club who actually said, no, no, no. Like, we're keeping Cam. Like, Cam's been here a long time. He's now England C. Why would you want to get rid of him? But new managers want their own players, don't they? That's just the way it is. So it was a bit, I became, whereas I was probably a, not a key role, but an important, you know, like in the dressing room as such, maybe, I became quite distant in it because I didn't suit the personalities that he wanted. The lads were great, all top lads. A lot of them are still there now. And then obviously the club spoke and it was agreed, yep, it will come on loan, no problem. Um, Chesterfield played easily away I trained on the Friday the Thursday sorry or, or the Friday morning I think it was the Friday morning actually oh whatever way around it was Yeah, it, I trained it might have been Good Friday actually believe it or not I think you played easily away and I trained on the Thursday and then we you know we went and stayed in the hotel stayed in the hotel turned up to the game Grant Smith was in goal the idea was Chesterfield needed a backup hence why James Montgomery ended up turning up. He was a top lad and a great goalkeeper. But this is before James obviously came, turned up. I got told all my wages would be covered. I wasn't working at the time because of COVID, so it was a perfect situation for me to come in and train full-time. I get this squad number. I had a shirt printed out for me. The kit man had got all my sizes, got given training kit. And then I get told before easily, something's gone wrong with the paperwork. Okay. Turns out something had happened. Either I believe something to do with money. I'm not a loan fee or something. I'm not sure. This caused a bit of a spark of anger from me because I seen it as a fantastic opportunity for look, I knew it was only going to be until the end of the season. I knew Chessfield weren't going to keep me on. But it was a club that I knew. It was, you know, it was I knew James Rowe. Yeah, it was an opportunity to get some full time football in, knowing that the manager was going to get his way eventually. I was going to leave at the end of that season whether I had a year left or not. So it was a chance for me to say, right, I'm going to get as fit as I can here in this six weeks. There's a chance at playoffs, so it could be eight weeks, full-time every day, happy days. I remember finishing at Eastleigh. They didn't have a game on the Monday because we were supposed to play Dover, so it must have been. So he gave us Saturday, Sunday and Monday off. And then I trained Tuesday and I never went back again. Because it, it just ended up falling through. Because I think deep down, James Rowe, and I have, I have not, not a bad word to say about him from my experience with him, just simply got fed up of Curzon and got fed up of trying to literally give me a chance. And I, I never have a bad word to say about him because at the end of the day, he needed to sign someone ASAP before that window closed, that loan window. Mm. And that's why they couldn't wait any longer. And I was devastated because Dave, the goalie coach, was at Chesterfield when I was at Chesterfield and he used to help the youth team. So it was like being back with an old pal. And then obviously a day or two later, James signed and James is a great keeper. But then James ended up playing the last part of that season, didn't he? For whatever reason, because that was the most bizarre thing going that Grant Smith got dropped and it was like, well, what what on earth's going on here? And James ended up playing. And I I remember just sitting there thinking, that could have been me. That could have been me. Me and James Montgomery played in the same division, like for because he was at Gateshead. I was at so 
we could compare and I reckon there's not much between us. So if you like, you know, you go like that, you probably say that could have been me. And parallel universe. Instead, <laughs> how things how things happen. So it kind of knocked me back a bit because I just had all that with COVID, missing out on England, missing out on what was probably a good opportunity at a good age because I was 24, and then to being the age I was then, 25, and thinking that my full time things are probably spiraling, maybe not going to happen. So an opportunity to then get told no and it can't happen. I was devastated. I remember, um, it's not like me, to be honest, that a lot of people didn't believe me, to be honest, because why would you? Because there was no proof. There was no, there was nothing to say I ever travelled. And I remember putting on Twitter a picture of my match shirt at Eastley on the chair just to say, look, I got given a squad number. I got all my training kit. I was there. And, and I think that made people realise then around the football club and stuff that actually what happened was true and, a lot of people were gutted for me, to be honest, because I'd worked hard to get a chance. I got one, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, you know, money, whatever it may be, it just it just didn't work out. So, yeah. But I was there. I was there for a solid, well, you could say two days, couldn't you, I suppose? <laughs> but that's about it. And interestingly, while, so while we've been talking, uh, Fylde have announced James Rowe as their new manager. Um, yeah, I- so what would you say? What would you say about him? Obviously, as Chesterfield fans, we don't really know him, but a lot's obviously gone off behind the scenes, of which we don't need to comment. But um, what's the uh, yeah? What what are your thoughts on him going to Fylde? <laughs> well, I, I I know him from Gloucester because we played against Gloucester, mm-hmm. and I've seen his team like that. He had a Sante at Gloucester with him, yeah. and things like that, and and Alex, the fullback, was there, and you know. Uh, Gaz, the centre half, was there as well. So I mean, yeah. a lot of them Chesterfield players there now currently he had. And I remember thinking, bloody hell, he plays some good football. He's and then when I actually got a work with him, I remember at the hotel at Eastley, he said, right, team meeting as 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 teams do, and he just knew everything about every single player, and you could just see he lived and breathed football. And from from my experience of him, I don't have a bad word to say about him. He was. Fine with me. He was respectful to me. He was honest with me. He um, made me feel welcome. I think his knowledge of the game was something I'd never seen before. Like, and you could tell it. Obviously, he gets help from statisticians and things like that. But you could tell he did a lot himself. And look, that's just my small little, you know, thing. Maybe if I spent longer there, I'd be able to tell you more. But I think he'll do a great job at Fylde, where again, it's a full-time club with good backing. You've got some fantastic players there already and someone who knows this league and obviously your league as well as he does, I'm sure he'll attract good players knowing that the club can pay the wages that they probably want. Have you got to play them again this season? Yes, we've got to, yeah, we've got to play them at home uh, in a couple of weeks actually. So I'll be hoping that he hasn't got them quite playing as well as he'd want to by that stage, fingers crossed, because they're one place above us in the league and they're technically our rivals. So... Obviously, we was unlucky at their place. We got beat 2-1. Bit of a dubious disallowed goal in the 92nd minute for us, which would have made it 2-2. But you know what? We have, you know, do your rivals. You never want to lose against your rivals, do you? Like Chesterfield play Mansfield or whatever. You don't want to lose to them. So when they come, no matter if it was James Rowe or Jim Bentley, nobody at Southport will want to get beat off them, that's for sure. Oh, finally. So you're at Southport now. Yeah, yeah, um, the sunny, the, the sunny seaside. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the career then going forward now, it's just I suppose obviously it's still looking at that full time football at some point and getting back up leagues. I suppose the great thing about your your position is that you get you get better as you get older, don't you? As a keeper. Well, you supposed you supposed to. So I'm backing on it. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Look, That's I, not me I saying you're not very good, by the way. I'm just. Saying, oh, it's okay. I know that. When, I know the room for improvement. In the early thirties, that's when they're uh, at the peak, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know there's room for improvement as well, so don't worry about that. But yes, look, Southport. The manager at Southport, uh, Liam Watson. He knows. He's very good friends with one of the directors at Curzon. So believe it or not, he actually knew that I was being released before I knew I was being released officially. <laughs> I was officially, I remember him ringing me and saying, 
heard you're looking for a club. And I was like, who the hell is this? And he's like, it's Liam Watson, Southport. And I remember him not mithering me. He never mithered me. He let me have time to process what had happened. But he was always there and he always wanted me. He was like, you're my number one target. I cannot believe I'm getting you for free. Blah, 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 blah. Because he knew that I had a year left. So I think what a lot of people's thoughts were, Cameron Mason would stay at Curzon Ashton for the rest of his career. Because I was comfortable there. It was 50 minutes from my house. I, I was, you know, probably one of the highest earners there. I enjoyed my time there, stuff like that. So nobody could see why I'd ever want to leave. But I didn't leave off my doing. I left on somebody else's. So when Liam was there, I spoke to other people, but no one seemed to get my attention like Liam did. His man management skills are unbelievable. Like Honestly, he, everyone's different, like I said before, and he gets along with everybody in that dressing room. You know, there's young lads who might have had egos that no longer have egos because it's all about work, right? And, you know, and he, he's made me adapt to this. I think I feel that that pressure of not wanting to let him down because he's brought me in. He's he's told everybody I was his number one target. He's got me. He's he said nice things. He's, he's told people at the start of the season, you know, this, that, this, that. I've now got to show it. And I've got to bring to the table what he's expecting and more to show him that he made the right decision in bringing me to the club because at the end of the day, he put all his trust in me, you know, because Southport were wanting to try and get promoted or at least being around the playoffs. And unfortunately, my time at Curzon, I'd never really finished in the top half. So it was a big step up for me because now I'm expected to to keep X amount of clean sheets and be this, you understand where I'm coming from. And, and it, it brought a whole different, you know, a different thing in. And again, like I said before, I became one of the older players. I'm no longer this young lad who's come through Curzon. and I'm now this 25, 26 year old who has played nearly 300 games and all these young lads in front of me are 19, 18, 20, 21. I think that's, that's I think I'd say 90% of the team are that age and, like we don't, they don't probably look at me as an experienced lad, but I know that I can be that experienced player and, and really help the team. And I'm grateful for the opportunity I've been given. Of, we're having a great season. Personally, I've kept the most clean sheets I've ever kept in a season. Um, I think I'm on to like 16, 17 now. So, um, you know, personally, I'm, to be honest with you, some games this season where I've kept a clean sheet, I probably should have paid an entry fee because that's how good the lads have been. But, on a personal note, I've, you know, I've kept them clean sheets. And like I said to you before, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm enjoying it. He offered me a new deal. I only signed a one-year deal just because of a few things, to be honest, originally traveling. I was never, it was the driving over there, you know, Saturdays, an hour and a half, two hour drive, would I like it, would I not? But because the lads in the club and everybody at the club, everybody involved in the club, the fan base, everything was so good. I wasn't really bothered about the hour and a half drive. It didn't. It didn't fuss me. And when he offered me a new deal uh, a couple of months ago, um, to be honest with you, it it was an absolute no brainer. He, you know, he he said he believes I can go back. He 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 told me he believes that I should be in the football league. And to hear your manager say that, I thought, right, well, I'm either doing something wrong, or I just need to keep working hard and I'll get there. And I'm just took it as work hard and you'll get there and he's always said to me look if someone comes in we'll never hold you back you know normally in a dressing room there might be the one or two where you you know you don't talk to them that much or they're not your type of people away from football whereas this dressing room is everybody gets along and I haven't got a bad word to say about any of them because there isn't and I think everyone's in the same you know boat and that's why I think we're playing so well and we're doing so well because we all get along. We all want to play for the manager. We all want to play for the club, the fans. And, and that's why some people might say we're punching above our weight, but we know within that we're not and we're only just getting started. Well, thanks so much. It's been a really fascinating insight into these into these divisions and, and everything that's happened over the years. It's obviously a career in football is not for the lighthearted, is it? Because it's full of, no. full of knocks and... Uh, no. 
highs and lows, it's uh, it's quite something to go through, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an emotional and physical roller coaster, isn't it? You know, and I think I look back now at, at full time footing. I remember being seventeen, thinking it used to be hard. You know, doing double sessions in the morning, afternoon. I look back now, thinking if that was hard, then what I'm doing now is even harder because you're working a full shift and then going training, not getting home till whatever daft o'clock, and then you're back working the next day and. You know what? What's that saying? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. And uh, you know, I, I think every lad who's been in the football league or been at a full-time club and then drops down from it instantly knows that's where they want to be again. And uh, hopefully, we'll get there one day again. If not, then just gotta keep being the best keeper I can be and staying at a good level like I am now. <laughs> 